0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: We are going to take a break from the Gospel of John. And because of our members meeting, and we do have members meetings twice a year, I decided twice a year I'll speak on the topic of church membership, because perhaps some of you might be wondering, uh, why do I even need to become a member? What is a member of a church? Maybe even more fundamentally, you might be asking the question, is church membership even in the Bible? Uh, why can't I just attend? Or maybe some of you have been attending for over a decade. You've been coming for over 10 years and saying, why do I need to be a member of a church? I feel like I'm a member already. I don't need to go through the, these, uh, you know, these formalities. Perhaps some of you have come from a church context where there's been an abuse of authority and so there is a real fear of being connected or part of a church. And so all of these questions are questions about church membership. And I don't know if I'm going to tackle all of them, you might say, today. But hopefully, at least some of them will be addressed. And we're going to look at Hebrews 13:7 7 through 17, to look at three areas of membership, specifically in regards to its leadership. First, we'll look at the authority that leaders have over the church. Second, we'll look at the authenticity by which they should be leading and exercising that authority. And then third is the accountability that leaders have. And my hope is at the very least, you'll walk away with the idea that membership is one, not alien to scripture. And two, that it's actually a blessing to be a member of a church. Therefore, you will decide to actually be a member, whether it is this church or another church, another local church. So first, we'll look at the authority that leaders have. And by this, we'll look at two verses, verse 7 and 17. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, And then second, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, those are two verses that perhaps you might not like. They are definitely not popular verses in our world today. And the reason they're not popular is because I think all of us have examples where leaders, those in authority, have abused their leadership. And because of that, there is this sense of fear. Won't I be abused again? and it's not just in the church that leaders have abused authority i think you can all agree with that we see it in in the world's governments politics maybe it's in law enforcement maybe it's in education certainly some of us perhaps have experienced this in family structures and yes some of us tragically sadly have experienced this in the church The reason we even see abuse in all of these positions of authority is because leaders and authorities have, to their own self-centered purposes, abused and caused those under their authority to suffer. But we see here in verses 7 through 17 that there is a such thing as good authority. That's not an oxymoron, that there can be goodness and authority together. And in fact, you want there to be good authority. If there is no authority, there's only chaos and anarchy. There's no structure, and God did not design the world that way. He designed us to be under authority just as we are under his authority. And so when he lists out what the church is to be like, very similarly in that pattern, it's to be under authority. But the real question is, what type of authority is it? And it's because we have a warped view of authority, or perhaps only have seen sinful authority enacted in our lives, that we just bristle at the word authority. But here we see that when it comes to the church's authority and leaders who are in the church's authority, there's supposed to be a certain way they exercise this authority. It's supposed to be, as the Hebrews writer says, they speak the word of God to you. Now, that in and of itself is not enough because certainly there are those who are in leadership in the church who have spoken the word of God but who have done so abusively. And it's very easy to do that. In fact, the Hebrews writer describes that type of exercising of God's word over people as verse 9 describes it as strange and diverse teachings, And the word strange is actually the word alien or outside of. It's not meant to be there. Now, here's the big question then. What are these strange and diverse teachings that these leaders who are abusing people are exercising? And how do I avoid that? It's very interesting because we're told that these strange diverse teachings are actually about food. Food. And that's an odd statement. You know, to think about these teachings about food. And what is he talking about? If we actually go back a few, uh, like a couple of chapters earlier, we see that actually Hebrews describes it this way in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. According to this arrangement, the writer also, uh, I'm sorry, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But deal only with food and drink and various washings. So for the Jews, they were under the law of Moses, and they believed through the sacrificial system, particularly when it came to food and ritual washings, that in some way that cleansed you of your sin. And so the Hebrews writer is saying, for you, you might think that actually cleanses your conscience, but it doesn't. And anyone who has attempted to do that realizes this to be true. And so rather, there needs to be something much greater. But if you rely on some sort of moral code or some works-based righteousness to cleanse your conscience and make you a person of faith, then it's a real danger. It's a diverse teaching. It's a strange teaching. That is to say that that will never change your heart. It can't. And that's the purpose of what the Hebrews writer is saying is that if me... As a leader, I go out there and say, you need to wash your hands in order to be morally righteous or to have faith if you need to eat certain things. That he calls a danger, a strange, diverse teaching. And it's not just about food. What it really is about is about anything that you can do, anything that in some way, apart from the work of Christ, that makes you acceptable to God, righteous, if I or the church or its leadership in any way enforce that, it's against the gospel itself. Now think about it from the context of perhaps some of you have been in church, churches or different contexts where maybe it's you need to follow our rules when it comes to who to marry. And you're going to marry this person, you're going to marry this person. That actually happens, by the way. That's not just something I made up. I have churches in mind that I know practice this. Or maybe it's, we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday at 8 p.m. If you do not come to that prayer meeting, you are actually turning away from the Lord and not faithful as a believer of Christ. Or if I were to say, this is a rule that we're going to implement. Every Sunday, you have to come on a half hour early because... Now here's the challenges. We want people to come early, why? So that they have enough seats so that they can open it up for other people. That's fine and it's one thing if I appeal to the heart, but if I make a rule and say, you need to come a half hour early, and if you do not come, you are not acting in faith. You are not a believer of Christ. I could probably get some of you to come early with that type of guilt. But that does not change your heart to love Christ more. It actually just makes you a rule follower, a law abider. It doesn't cleanse your conscience, doesn't make you someone who says, I wanna worship the Lord, I love him, I, I enjoy him, I delight in him. Again, it is our instinct as a leader to want to use the law to get people to follow and you could say that it actually works really well. If it didn't work well, then you would have no such thing as legalistic churches. And by the way, there, there is a, a tendency to all of us, including this church, including me, to want to use the law to convince people to do things. But we're told here that this is a diverse and strange teaching to think of food laws as a means by which you actually think God thinks you are righteous. He accepts you as good. And that's not what leaders should teach. So when it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, it's supposed to be that we lead you to love Christ, to live for him, to worship him, so many have real questions, life's questions. Some of them are significant. They really are. So many of you have them. You are struggling in marriage. You say, "I please give me help as to how to overcome some of these challenges that we have. Maybe you're dealing with the whole question of this tension of, okay, I want to send my child to a, a particular type of school. Should I... But let's say they miss certain sports and/or if they activities and that in, con- conflicts with the church and uh, their growth, what about that? Or should I give up alcohol? Or is it okay if I really like scotch and I really like drinking that at night? Um, is smoking pot evil? I mean, It just. It, what about, what do I do with my trans classmate? Can I be friends with that person? These are important questions. But the problem is that if I, as a leader or a church, church's leadership, came up with all the answers to those questions, said, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, at the end of it all, we would be lost. May I say that that's actually a strange and diverse teaching? Is that to think that my job is in some way to be someone who answers all of your life's questions in that way? In fact, it's very different. And we see in actuality, it doesn't increase our joy, it decreases our joy when we follow that type of teaching. That leaves only the burden of guilt. And it's based on a legalistic authority that becomes oppressive. But look at what Hebrews thirteen seven says. For it is good for the heart, that's really interesting, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. How do you get strengthened in your heart to love Christ, to want to walk in faith, to want to be a Christian? It is not going to be by a bunch of leaders in a church telling you what to do and how to live. It's going to be by us telling you about Christ, who he is, what he has done, and how the impact of that will actually cause you to live by faith. The gospel strengthens us to live and continue in faith and to want to do so. It will actually want you to be a member of a church. Not because I said, if you don't be a member of a church, you're going to hell. But in actuality, it's follow Christ. And if you follow Christ, you will enjoy him and you'll want to be a member deciding and along with people who are on the same track. This is what our leadership has to be repeating over again and again. I hope you're hearing that from this pulpit, from this lectern, from your gospel communities, from gospel well, from times of just regular conversation is that it's not about what you do It's about what Christ has done. And if it is about what Christ has done, it will impact what you do. We don't need to even say it. It just happens. I don't even need to address it. Now, here's the challenge is that the Hebrews writer says, imitate your leaders. Imitate them. What are you supposed to imitate? Our conduct? Here's the challenge. If you tried to imitate my conduct, you would just be sinning as much as I do. It's not as though I'm up here and I sin less. Like this week for gospel, well, we've done this numerous times and we do it through different contexts. We have what's called the tongue assignment. And we have where you, for one week, you you can't gossip, you can't criticize anyone, you can't defend yourself. Um, I can't remember the other things. There's like about six or seven things, things with your tongue that you cannot do. And for every Time you do it, you have to give a dollar to hands at work. I always think, praise God, it's not uh, the hard assignment. (laughs) Otherwise, I'd have to put a direct deposit from my bank account straight to hands and funnel all the money that I have towards that direction. But for this one week, we're not supposed to do it. And so I'm just thinking, boy, I can't wait for this week to end. That way I can go back to the way that it was. Because here's my instinct is... I, my tongue is literally like a mosquito towards one of those bug zappers, those light bug zappers. It just is constantly leaning towards that. I'm constantly wanting to. And my wife is saying, you know, you're going to have to give a dollar. And that stops me. It's not the Lord. It's the dollar. I mean, this is my heart. So if you're going to follow and imitate me, that's not good news for you. That's really bad news for you. You know what you're supposed to imitate of me is I need Jesus. I just really do because I see the depth of my sin. And it, the longer I live, the more I see it. The more I do such things like this, the more I see it. And I just think, oh, man, I'm, I'm, woe is me. I get Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm ruined. And this is a godly man. There's a reason why people like Isaiah, Paul, when he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Because as you grow in Christ, you just see more of his holiness. And you see more of the depth of your own sin. And the more I need Jesus, more and more. That's what you're supposed to imitate. I hope that's what you see. It's not, oh, wow, he parented his kids that way. I want my kids to be like that, so therefore... If you saw all the different ways that I have failed in parenting, you will not want to imitate me, clearly. But you might say, that guy, he's, he's no different than me. He has the same problems, but I see that he actually loves Jesus. And that makes a change. I hope you see that in our leadership. And that's what we need to emphasize as leaders over and over and over again. And when that happens, it actually does feel like I want to learn under that. I want to grow under that, and I want to be a member of that type of church. We are not perfect. I can't, I can't say that enough. We will fail you. I have said this numerous times, is that if you know me long enough, you will be disappointed by me. If you know our elders long enough, you will be disappointed by us. If you know our, the, the gospel community leader that you're following, they're not that great. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) They're not that great. You are following brokenness, but someone who has been at the pit and has been rescued by Christ and has said, thank you, Lord, for saving me. That's who you're following. Follow and imitate us as we follow Christ. And as long as we are a church and as long as there is a gospel, that is whom we will follow. I remember when um, I was uh, early in my pastoring, in my you know, life as a pastor, and I had a mentor pastor, and he said to me, you know, Sam, whatever you do, don't trust your members. They're going to stab you in the back. I mean, that's <laughs> literally what he said to me. And I tell you, after that, it took hold. So you know what happens with that is that you try to put up an air of holiness. And so every time if my, if let's say I'm in my office and someone is walking by, maybe it's someone on our staff or someone who is a visitor, I'll open the door and take out my Bible and read it while someone's walking by. I'm not even joking. This is actually true. And then when they would leave, I'd be like, whew, okay, good. (laughs) Put that away. And then uh, maybe... Go on my knees sometime. Had to go on the knees. Not just folding hands. The knees. It's a key. So this is, what a woeful heart. But that type of heart leading leads to abuse. Because it's all about my power, my strength, my ability, my works. Hebrews 13 shows us. That that's not what it's about. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then we see in verses 7 through 16 what this is all about. It's about who Christ is, what he had done, how he was outside the camp rejected. And by the way, when you were put outside the camp, when Stephen was stoned, he was put outside the city walls because they didn't want that stoning, his death, to taint the holiness of Jerusalem. So when Jesus and Hebrews is talking about Jesus put outside the camp, it's to say he's going to face shame and disgrace because he's crucified. Then you're never crucified in Jerusalem; it was always outside to show you're not part of us. You're going to be under disgrace, and this is the faith that leaders are supposed to have. We are supposed to be a people who are outside the camp, like our Savior who are under disgrace, who are the least, who as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, they are the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. That's who you're supposed to imitate. And what you are following are not our actions, you are following our need, that fact that we cherish Christ and his gospel. So when you consider the leaders of the church and when you're considering membership, you're saying I, wanna, I want those type of leaders. When you say you want those type of leaders before warned that means people who fail you, who mess up. I've had to say sorry to and to ask for forgiveness to some of our members sometimes because whether it's anger, whether it's pride, it's a humbling thing just like doing that to your own child which I posted about today in uh, uh, the encouragement section and gospel parenting is It's hard to say sorry to people you're in authority over, but is there any better way to express the gospel of grace than to actually go to people you're in authority over and still say, I have failed, I have sinned, please forgive me. So again, this message, it's not just this authority, it's this authenticity of verses seven through 16 that we see It is the meat of the message, verses seven and eight. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That verse seems odd coming at that point, but if you understand that, the message stays the same, consistent. The message is Christ. Who he is, what he has done. That never changes. Worship music changes. I was listening to a, a song that uh, I was, uh, really blessed me when I was um, first starting out ministry on Spotify. And now when I listen to it, it sounds old. <laughs> Worship music has really gone through a real change. But those songs, they change. Styles change. The way we dress changes. Building structures change. Many things change but the message of the gospel remains the same. If you are looking to a person, how smart the person is up here. Oh, they sound like they're so intelligent. They know all the answers to theological questions. They are skilled and articulate. And I'm sure in some way you are always evaluating whoever is up here speaking. There's always, oh, if they, they sound very different. or they, There's always this evaluation, but what you should be keying in on is what is the message saying? Is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is the message the same in this church? If it is not and it changes, I really want you to run away. Really, get out of this church. Go somewhere else where you're gonna be safe. The safety is not in the person, the safety is in the message. And we see this, the constant is that. Look at, again, the warning of verse 9 in chapter 13 do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. It is the teaching of the body of Christ that actually protects you, or it can harm you. Music is not going to do that. And all the other parts of ministry is not going to do that. It is what is taught. And if you don't hear Christ, who he is, what he has done, how, What Jesus has done does impact your life on a regular basis in the church, then I plead with you to find another church, whether it's this church or another. So we will have all sorts of shifts. You will shift. What I thought when I was first saved when I was 15 years old to today is vastly different. But the message at the core should be the same. If you're married, if you're single, if you are a college student, if you're a high school student, if, you have, uh, if you're a senior, if you're married with you know, your empty nester, no matter what, we're just gonna go through all sorts of changes in life. But what has to remain the same is the fact that Jesus suffered for those who are outside the camp because he himself was outside the camp. He suffered disgrace. And it is on that basis that we live and minister and decide to do what we do. Look at what verse 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is in the context of verses seven through 16. It's all about what Christ has done. What do we have? It's what Jesus has done for me, how it's transformed, how he has transformed my life. And That is what has to be undergirding every single piece of advice, every single teaching, the songs that we sing, the fellowship that we have. He is the means by which we have hope. He is our treasure. He is our great reward. And may I say that you will not be able to imitate or consider the outcome of these leaders unless you stay long enough. The staying is a big part of it. You can't really do this as a visitor or an attender. You can hear a message, but the problem is that you're only seeing a person. It has to be seen throughout the life. And part of that seeing is the commitment. And so in this sense, there is this accountability. In verse 17, we're told. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. This last part I'm gonna address at the members meeting to our members. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. It's actually a good thing and it really is mutual. It's symbiotic in that sense in that the more we are growing in the gospel, the more we actually want to submit to the authority of our leaders, the more that actually brings out joy for that leader, the more that blesses that person. It's an advantage to the member. So we'll talk more about that in the members meeting. But I do want to address this first part, because some might think, oh, it's the members' responsibility to hold leadership accountable. But that is not what verse 17 is saying. Verse 17 is not about member accountability and hold, because I do think that sometimes that is the mentality. I got to make sure that leaders don't abuse their position. If it takes you as members to hold accountable leaders, even if you try to do it, they're going to abuse it anyway. Meaning actually the greatest accountability of all for leaders is not the members, but it's God himself. And may I say that if it works, if a leader, and this is something we're always evaluating, does this leader in some way exhibit their submission to God's leadership over them, their God's authority over them? Here's the challenge of James 3.1, a really fearful verse for anyone who's in leadership in the church. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is absolutely what should hold leaders to account. Our God, as Hebrew says, is a consuming fire. And I tell you that there is nothing you as a member can do that will outstrip what God can do to me or any leader of the church. This should make us quake in fear, a good, healthy fear. And we need the fear of the Lord. Legalistic authority, where legalism plays a role, is because there is no fear of God. It's all about trying to build a persona, having you follow some sort of person. But we're told here in verse 17 that leaders are held accountable by God himself. And their responsibility is to keep watch over your souls because one day when we see the Lord face to face, I do believe he will say, did you hold this person to account? What about his soul? What about her soul? My friends, you want leaders to hold your soul in account. You want them to have that responsibility. I mean, think about it from a family perspective. You can have a guest, a, a, a child's friend, come into your family and visit. But there is something to a guest coming. And yes, there's some weight of responsibility over that child as they're a guest. But you do not have the same weight of responsibility that you have over your own child. You do not discipline that child. You're not held to account to teach and instruct that child. I mean, there's some level of account, but it is certainly not the same as your own child. And when that child is, your own child is under your family's authority, it also says to that child, you are mine. You're my son, my daughter. And anyone else you do care for, you might even love them but you are not held responsible for them. If that child does something wrong, it's you who are responsible. That's what I feel, and that's what all leaders should and must feel for the members of the church, is that where your soul is at, we are responsible for it, and that is a weighty task. It's the reason what causes us, every time we meet as elders, we pray for you, we go on rotations to pray for every member of our church, and we Um, we call out different needs and we say we are responsible for them if you are going through financial troubles if if you're a widow actually according to scripture if you're a widow if your husband dies it is first the responsibility of that family but if there is no family then the church has to take on that responsibility that is our command for members but for those of you who say, "Well, I've been at this church for ten years. I, I feel like I am a member. Why do I have to go through that formality?" It's no different than a child saying, "Well, I, you know, I can be part of your family. I, you know, I, I'm the kid next door. I come over every day. I hang out. I eat with your, you know, your son at dinner, and I'm I'm a member of your family." And they might say, "Yes, you are. Yes, you are." Until there's a responsibility over them. Until there's some weight, a crushing weight of responsibility, and you say, You know what? You're actually the son of those parents over there. You're not my son, really. I, I can't sign documents for you. I can't do things where legally I'm caring for you. And this is the mentality is that if we say, this is what we see in scripture, that you actually should be a member of a church, and you decide, I don't, want, I'm not gonna be a member of a church, you're basically saying, no, I don't believe that. I don't agree with you. And members agree with us because they see it in scripture. They want to submit to that authority and they say, I, I recognize that. Because there is this instinct, I have it too, by the way. Um, I have this instinct of saying, well, you know, almost in a, in a dismissive way, it's, we, we talk a lot about pastoral conferences. I'll give this example. And a lot of times, I'm, I'm sort of the type of person who's a little, bit of, a little bit of a rebel. I'm like, I don't need to go to those pastoral conferences. And so people say, oh, why don't you go to that conference? Why don't you go to that pastor's meeting? I say, I don't really need to go to that. It's a lot of time, money, and all these things. And we're sizing up people. But it's very easy to be dismissive and say, ah, I don't need to do that. You, can, you all can do that. I don't need to do that. But I have to admit, there is a part of me that, feels a little superior to not do that. A little bit proud of saying, I don't need that. Okay, That's a small example. (laughs) I think there are other reasons. But I think there's a part of me that has that in me. And so I have to always guard my heart and to say, hey, don't think you're better than everyone else. Because that's my instinct is to think I'm better. And so I really want to commend you to not be dismissive automatically and negating just for the sake of saying, I'm not going to do it because I'm better than that. When we have that type of framework, I do think it actually is not good for our souls. And ultimately, we're not not—we're under authority under God. And if you have a question of, hey, is this really in the Bible? Let's talk about it. But Let's actually have a discussion. Let's search through scripture. Don't just simply dismiss it because you feel that way. We are saying it is a grave responsibility as leaders to hold members, not to account, but I am going to be held in account for you. And I take that so seriously that I do believe the Lord will one day hold me to account for our members And because of that, even when it's hard, we still try to reach out to people who have strayed or wherever it might be. And that's not an easy task, but it is so vital for not just my soul, but your soul. You want to be a person who has someone in account of your soul. You want that. That is good for your soul. You need that, especially in times of difficulty and trial. You need to have the church say, these people have my soul in their hands. And yes, it's scary. Maybe you feel vulnerable, but that's a good place to be in. So if you're a visitor, if you're new, do not church shop for too long. Either say, this is my church, or go find another church that you're gonna be a member of. Not just attend. If you have been attending for 10 years, I say to you, either say, no, I do not believe in church membership, but let's go through it through scripture. And I would love to do that and walk alongside with you or decide to be a member of the church. If you are a believer of Christ, this is it for believers or you need to go to another church that you say, I agree with that. And so therefore you're going to be a member of that church. But it is not good for your soul to be in a church where you're not a member and you have no leadership saying, I have responsibility for your care. And I know some of you in this room, I've known you for a long time. Some of you are friends. I consider you friends. But if you say, no, I don't need membership. No, that's just the church thing. And you say you're a believer, then I really want to warn you, something is amiss. Let me give you one task, which actually has four parts. One task, four parts, when it comes to member, membership or non-membership. First, if you're a non-member, here's my task. Okay, it's an acronym, and it's corny. Take membership class. If you are a believer of Christ, this is your church, and you want to submit to the authority of this church who are actually under the authority of Christ, who are living out the gospel, Take membership class. Show uh, members. If you're in gospel community together with non members, encourage them to become a member. Do not just simply say, oh, we're all the same. No, they're not under account. So take it. There is one coming Saturday, October 28th, 9 a.m. at the church. Thomas will lead it. He's going to be at the welcome station. You can sign up there, you can talk to him about it. Second, act on membership regardless of time length. If you're a college student, if you're 18 years old, you should decide now to become a member. There is no umbrella policy for membership. You know, it's, once you're an adult, you need to be a member. You should be baptized because that means you're a believer of Christ. So that's something to consider. And then you become a member of the church. And so we're gonna welcome a few members today at this members meeting, so excited for that. Some of you perhaps are in work rotation, so you're only here in the Bay Area for one year. Be a member. If you go away for college, be a member of that church. You have four years of commitment to that church. Be a member as soon as possible. Find your church quickly, be a member of the church. So it's important. If I'm so thankful, one member who was in the Coast Guard who uh, came a long time ago, he said, I'm here for three years. In those three years, I'm going to commit immediately, I'm going to dive into ministry, and I'm going all in. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be. Because it is not good for your soul to just be floaters and be on the periphery. So I'm saying this not because it helps us. I really believe it helps you. Third is serve the body of Christ. If you are a member and you're not serving, you're not growing. We need to serve because it's for me. It's not. The Lord, he clearly does not need us. The rocks will cry out. Every time someone has left, no matter who it is, someone always comes. The Lord always provides. But what serving does, it gives me an other-centered heart, and that's a reflection of who God is. He gave himself for us. So you need the body of Christ to serve it, to love it. And then lastly, keep praying. Do not give up praying. Pray for our, our elders. Please pray for me. Pray for our pastors. Pray for your GC leader. Pray for those who are teaching children upstairs right now. They have, you know, those people have your kids' souls in their hands. Really, do you pray for them? Do you pray, pray for those mentors on Friday nights who are gathering and Sundays who are leading high school students. They have your children's souls in your hands. And you know what is against them right now. The enemy, Jesus said to Peter, you know, Satan is trying to sift you like wheat. Well, Satan is trying to sift your children like wheat. Keep praying. Do not give up. The reason why all of this makes sense is because of this table. Because Jesus went outside the camp. He climbed the road of Golgotha to Calvary. He gave his life so that when we place our trust and hope in him, we are set free. In our place condemned, he stood. And we as God's people gather together every Sunday to remind ourselves, this is why we are members together in Christ, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. There is not a single thing that I can give to anyone here that makes them suddenly worthy or good or righteous. What I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. My hope and prayer is that that's what people would see. Our need for Jesus. Our hope and our delight in him. and Our our such great gratitude for the cross of Christ which frees us from the power of sin and death forever as we take of this bread and wine, may we do so with such joy and delight. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you for the church. Um, Convict our souls, strengthen us by grace. In Jesus' name we pray.